Hi, and welcome to the Magical History Tour. I'm Hollis Node, your tour guide, and last time we talked about the first two colonies planted by the English. So that would be Virginia and Maryland. This week, we're going to talk about the New England colony, Plymouth Colony, and also, of course, the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So let's get started. The climate and geography in New England are going to be really different from the Chesapeake. So tobacco doesn't grow as well, and the area is going to be less favored for investment and settlement. And so because of that, it will become a haven for Protestant dissenters. Now, after Elizabeth I died with no heir, her distant cousin, James VI of Scotland, will take the English throne, and he becomes James I of England in 1603. Now, when James took the throne, he was confronted with a divided Church of England. You had a group known as Puritans. Puritans were dissenters who believed that the Anglican Church should be reformed and purified, hence the name. So that included doing things like getting rid of all Catholic rituals, like the use of holy water and organ music, elegant robes, jeweled crosses, the worship of saints, things like that. What they're wanting to do is to simplify the way that the Anglican Church worshiped. Now, if you remember, the Anglican Church was started by King Henry VIII, who basically just said, I'm starting a church and did it. And it's essentially very similar to the Catholic Church. The difference is that the British monarch is the head of it. So they did a lot of the same things. So this is what the Puritans kind of objected to. And so King James I was not religiously tolerant and he will persecute the Puritans. And that doesn't cause them at first to leave or anything else. It caused them to speak out much more vocally, at least initially. Uh, there were many Puritans who held important positions in churches and universities, and they even had a minority party in Parliament. Now, there's another group of dissenters that are the separatists or nonconformists. They had very similar beliefs as Puritans, but the Puritans wanted to fix the Church of England. The separatists felt that it could not be fixed. They felt like it was too far gone. There wasn't anything they could do about it. So they're going to create their own congregations separate from the church, hence the name separatists. They were also widely persecuted for this in the late 16th century. Some of them were imprisoned and even hanged. And this is going to lead many of the separatists choosing to leave England rather than to be persecuted. Those who eventually sail for America are the ones we will call pilgrims. So the first English colony in New England is founded by these religious dissenters known now as the pilgrims or separatists. They were backed by the Virginia Company and they were led by a man named William Bradford. Now Bradford led these 102 people who sailed from Plymouth, England on the Mayflower in September of 1620. Now, most of them were families, but many of them were single men who were hired by the investors. They were not part of the original church that went. They just needed them because they needed whatever skill that they had, like a blacksmith skill or woodworking or, you know, whatever. So they needed more people than what they had. So they hired them. Now, they'll arrive at Massachusetts Bay and they will name the area Plymouth. But before they even get off the boat, the hired men were kind of unhappy. They recognized that the leaders of the church church were kind of running the show and they didn't like that so they begin threatening to kind of go their own way so Bradford who didn't want them to leave he needed them will draft what we call the Mayflower Compact. And the Mayflower Compact will combine all the male members of the group into what we call a civil body politic. That means that all the male members of the group will be able to vote and you know take part and things like that. So they didn't have to be a member of the church necessarily 
because he wanted these people to stay. The Mayflower Compact is considered the first document of self-government in North America. It's very memorable because of its implicit principle that a government's authority comes from the consent of those who are governed. So it's where we get our basic building blocks of our government later. Now, almost half of that group died over the first winter. They incurred malnutrition and scurvy, encounters with the native tribes. You, you don't have a lot of people making it that first winter. They were helped by a nearby Native American named Squanto. He helped them. He offered them food and advice. He introduced them to the Native tribes that were around them. And he did those things in exchange for an alliance with them against the tribal enemies of the natives. So Plymouth is never very financially successful, but they do succeed in achieving a self-sufficient community. The backers of the Virginia Company never really make any money off of them, but they are a self-sufficient community eventually. And later they will be absorbed into the Massachusetts Bay Colony. But right now they're separate. Now, speaking of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, if you remember, I mentioned the Puritans right before we talked about the separatists or the pilgrims, and they were very similar, but at least at first they wanted to try to reform the Anglican church from within. Uh, they do get persecuted, and as I said, they spoke out more vocally. King Charles, who was James' son, will succeed James as king in 1625, and the minority Puritan party in Parliament will criticize him because he married a Roman Catholic. Now, at this point, he gets sick of hearing about them and from them, so he will dismiss Parliament. And in 1629, he launches a campaign of repression that will provide the context for migration of English Protestants to New England. So that's going to cause them to just leave. So in 1629, a royal charter was granted to a group of wealthy Puritans, and 200 settlers will leave from Massachusetts Bay. When they got there, it had been a fishing settlement that had sort of been abandoned. So they will kind of take that over. They rename the former fishing settlement where they arrive Salem. It's not quite true to say they came to worship the way they chose. It's more accurate to say that they came because they weren't at all pleased with the way non-Puritans were worshiping in England, and they wanted to preserve their own forms of worship. They wanted to establish what we will call a city on a hill this example to others. For years, some Puritan leaders will harbor this comforting illusion that England will eventually look across the Atlantic at them, see by their shining example the errors of its ways, and they will invite the Puritan fathers home in triumph to escort England back to godly ways. They keep waiting, and that doesn't happen. But it was the beginning of what becomes known as the Great Migration. So between 1629 and 1643, around 20,000 people will relocate to Massachusetts. It gets so big and they expand so much that by 1630, within just, you know, five or six years, they build Boston. And by 1635, Boston is ringed by towns for like 30 miles inland. It grows quickly. Most of these people will arrive in groups, um, church groups, in fact, and there was a loophole in their charter that they exploited that allowed them to transfer all their company operations to America. So within a few years, they had transformed the company into a civil government 
with two legislative houses, which will be the origins of our government. In 1643, a Puritan by the name of Cromwell will come to power in England. And at that point, Puritans don't really have a motivation to migrate anymore because now they're in charge. Uh, Some of them in the New World will actually go back to England because of this. And in 1643, when the end of the Great Migration occurs, the New England economy had depended on that sale of supplies and land to all the newcomers. But now they're going to have to find something else to rely on. So they're going to focus on things like cod fishing. They sent lumber and farm products to the West Indies to trade for sugar and molasses and rum. And by the 1660s, New England had really diversified. And they had the most impressive commercial fleet of all the colonies. By 1700, Boston has become the third largest commercial center after London and Bristol. So this development of a diversified economy is going to give New England long-term strength. It's really important to them. Now, they immigrate to practice their type of Christianity, but they don't really have tolerance for other religious points of view. And so disagreements in this area are going to lead to the founding of new colonies. Now, Rhode Island is one of those. Roger Williams, who is a minister, he arrived in Massachusetts Bay in 1631, is the first major dissenter. He believed in things like separation of church and state, religious tolerance, and the idea that the Englishman had no absolute right to just take Native American land. He talks a lot, and and he was actually very popular at first because he was known even from the New World to England, as this amazing minister and preacher and speaker. And so they were really looking forward to him coming over. So they were waiting for him. And he gets there and he starts talking and they're like, uh, wait a minute, what are you saying? No, we don't agree with that. (laughs) So finally, in 1636, he's banished from Massachusetts Bay Colony. And he'll leave with his followers and he will form Providence, Rhode Island. And he does this with land that he will purchase fairly from the native tribes. Now, in Boston, another reformer, Anne Hutchinson, who was the outspoken wife of a Boston merchant, will start criticizing the Boston ministers. She said they emphasized good works too much. Now, she practiced some very different religious ideas from her Puritan community members, and she also is very vocal about them, especially for being a woman. Eventually, she will also be banished, and she and another group will go to live near Roger Williams Settlement and be part of Rhode Island. Rhode Island will eventually become a protected area for dissenters. It was called um, by the Puritans in Massachusetts Bay, the sewer of New England, among other things. Uh, because all of the people they didn't approve of went there. But Rhode Island is going to be different because the heads of households voted rather than church members. So you didn't have to be a church member to vote in Rhode Island. You had to be head of household. And it's also going to be the first colony to declare freedom of religion and separation of church and state. So it was, out of the 13 colonies that are going to be created, probably the most democratic. Another dissenter was a minister by the name of Thomas Hooker, and he disagreed with the policy of restricting voting to male church members, among other things. And so he will eventually get kicked out and he will move with his followers. They will found Hartford, Connecticut, where voting was not limited to church members either. New Hampshire and Maine as one whole territory 
were granted to Sir Fernando Georges and Captain John Mason. Those two divided the territory. Mason took New Hampshire to the south and Gorgias took Maine. Now, in the 1640s, Massachusetts colony will take over both the New Hampshire and Maine colonies. Eventually, lawsuits are going to lead to New Hampshire becoming a royal colony in 1679, while Maine would still be controlled by Massachusetts. Now, when Charles II comes to the throne, he will establish several new proprietary colonies, and he's going to model them after Maryland. So in 1663, the first colonial charter establishes a new colony called Carolina. By 1675, the northern part of Carolina was home to a small number of farmers and large tobacco planters. The southern part of Carolina settlers come primarily from Barbados. Barbados was a Caribbean colony that the English had founded earlier, and it was kind of overpopulated by English and African slaves who were working the very lucrative sugar plantations there. So a lot of people will start moving to South Carolina because it had a similar ecology. Their move gave the southern part of Carolina a very West Indies character. So by the end of the 17th century, Carolina's population was about 5,000, which included about 2,500 enslaved Africans. Now the north part and the south part pretty much ignored each other. The, northers, the northerners mainly farmed tobacco, the southerners farmed rice and eventually indigo. In this proprietary colony, there were eight proprietors that had been given the land and they end up not being very good proprietors and they will divide the north and south into two colonies with separate assemblies. Now, unfortunately, those proprietors were not popular. They were not able to effectively defend the Carolinas, so their charter will eventually be revoked, and North and South Carolina would be established as separate royal colonies. The country of Holland, or the United Provinces of the Netherlands, was a very small country, but it really does well economically. In 1581, the Dutch will win their independence, and Amsterdam will become the site of the world's first stock exchange and investment bank. Dutch investors will build the largest commercial and fishing fleet in Europe, and they're able to capture the Baltic and North Sea trade. They said that the North Sea was Holland's America. But soon, Holland is going to look toward America, and they're going to establish trading outposts there. Now, in the 1600s, they're going to organize two big monopolies, the Dutch East India Company and the Dutch West India Company. With those monopolies, Holland will become the greatest commercial power in the world. The Dutch will first appear in North America with the explorations of Henry Hudson, think Hudson Bay in New York, in 1609. They will eventually found settlements at Fort Orange, which will later become Albany, New York, and New Amsterdam, which is today's Manhattan Island. They're going to copy the French by negotiating alliances with the Iroquois Confederacy for fur trading. The Dutch will also fairly quickly take over nearby New Sweden. The Swedes had come over and settled, but the Dutch will take those over. The Swedish were the ones who actually brought over the idea of the log cabin, just in case you were interested. But Charles wanted the Dutch colony of New Netherland for himself. It was a very lucrative colony. It was very competitive with the British in commerce. So he decides to do something kind of drastic. The, he sends the English fleet. They sail into Manhattan Harbor. They offer up pretty good terms if the Dutch wouldn't resist a takeover. They said, we'll let you keep the Dutch language as the official language. We'll let you keep the Dutch Reformed Church as the official church. Dutch 
inheritance laws would be enforced, which actually gave a lot more property rights and things like that to women at the time. Now, because the New Netherlands were so diverse, very few of the inhabitants were actually really loyal to the Dutch government. And so they refused to band together and fight the English fleet. So consequently, New Amsterdam will surrender to the English without a shot being fired. And Charles will grant the former Dutch colony to his brother, James, who is the Duke of York, and they will rename it New York after him. Otherwise, Charles pretty much left it alone, except when he collected his revenues. New York had the most heterogeneous society in North America at that time. And in 1665, the Duke of York will give part of New York to two men who will form New Jersey. Now, in 1676, the rights to the western portion of New Jersey were inherited by a man named William Penn. William Penn wanted to make a home for his church group. They were called the Society of Friends. We know them today uh, by their nickname, the Quakers. They were actually the third largest religious group in America by that time. And they were a group that was committed to religious toleration and pacifism. They were called Quakers because people joked that they trembled with emotion at their religious services. And so a lot of people will make fun of or scorn the Quakers. They also kind of worried people in authority because they preached absolute Christian pacifism. If you were a member of the Society of Friends, you were forbidden to take up arms, even in self-defense. So this bothered some people who were like setting up colonies because sometimes they had to fight for their land and fight Native American tribes and things like that. So they didn't want people saying, oh no, we can't fight. So that's part of the reason they didn't like the Quakers a lot. Now they also taught that every individual had the light of God within them. So they said they didn't need bishops or ministers or priests when they held meetings. Anyone could get up and speak and give testimony. They spoke to everyone in the same way. But at the same time, Puritans found it highly insulting because they believed that there were social superiors and that you should address them in a certain way. So they didn't get along with the Society of Friends. Also, the Society of Friends believed that everyone was equal, men and women equal. So they were both active in preaching and testifying. And so this will bother some other people who didn't think that women were equal to men. Now, Penn wanted his colony to be what he called a holy experiment. So he set up his first frame of government in 1682, and it guaranteed religious freedom, it guaranteed civil liberties, and elected representation. His capital was Philadelphia, and he kind of set it out really nicely on a grid, basically. He had fair dealings with the native tribes, and because Pennsylvania was so friendly to the native tribes and fair, that led a number of native groups to resettle in his colony. The first 10 years that Pennsylvania was there, more than 10,000 settlers arrived. In 1704, they approved the creation of a separate government for the colony of Delaware. That was an area that was formerly controlled by the Scandinavian and Dutch. Part of Pennsylvania will break off and form Delaware. Now, in the 18th century, Pennsylvania will become known as America's breadbasket, and Philadelphia becomes the most important colonial port in North America. So that's 12 colonies, and now we're going to talk about the very last one, 
Georgia is the last of the 13 original colonies, and it was created 50 years after Pennsylvania was founded. It was created as a buffer state to protect South Carolina from the Spanish in Florida, and we'll talk about why later. But it was not a proprietary colony or a corporate colony or even a royal colony at first. Georgia had what they called trustees. They had 21 trustees. They met in England, and they governed it. They put a former soldier by the name of James Oglethorpe in charge of the land on the site. And Oglethorpe had a lot of ideas. He wanted Georgia to be a place where jail debtors could have a fresh start. If you were in debtor's prison, it was really hard to get out because if you're in debtor's prison, you can't work, but you can't get out of debtor's prison until you pay off your debt. So you have to hope that somebody will pay it off for you so that you can get out and start working so you can pay them off. So what he wants to do is he wants to give formerly jailed debtors a fresh start. He does some things though that don't sit well with people. Number one, he banned alcohol in the colony and then he banned slavery in the colony. He was hoping to have a colony of self-sustaining small farmers who will live close together so that they could mobilize against the Spanish whenever it was necessary because they're kind of like between the Spanish in Florida and the South Carolinians and they're supposed to sort of fight for them and stuff like that. So Georgia was a good buffer state but they didn't work so well as a social experiment that Oglethorpe had hoped. A lot of debtors and paupers were sent there but a lot of South Carolinians also came there on their own. So South Carolinians saw the land liked it, wanted to expand their territory, and they would come and they brought their slaves. And they didn't care that he didn't allow slaves, so they ignored the laws. Oglethorpe was not able to stop it. He also wasn't able to keep alcohol out of the colony, and that will eventually cause him to give up and leave for England in defeat. And the colony will eventually be surrendered to control by the king. So now you know about the beginnings of each of the 13 colonies. Next time, we're going to talk about the cultural and economic differences in those colonies. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like it, recommend it to a friend.